0: Uh, welcome to a very special bonus episode of Words to Live By. I know I've really enjoyed our summer series at Central Heights, and we thought it would be a bit of a miss to let our lead pastor, Tim Claussen off the hook uh, and not have him in the hot seat today. So welcome, Tim. Thank you, um, Jesse. If that is your real name. Um, yeah. t- tell me, Tim, a lot of people don't know this. Um, Timothy is actually your middle name, so uh, maybe today is the day where we get a glimpse into, okay, well, what what is your real name hey. and, and why is it a secret? Like, yeah, what's the, what's so the... you've
1: heard of reveal parties? Mm-hmm. Today's not that day.
0: I there's, no, there's no need to be nervous, <laughs> okay. we've, you know, we've, we've been friends for a while. Um, well, me... well, we work together. We work together, which doesn't always equate to friendship. Um, I know for my part, I would consider you a friend. That's um, neat. But That's really neat. I, I think at least at least we'll see if that still stands after right. our, our time
1: together. Yeah, I mean, we could still be friends, but you don't have a job, so there's different ways this could go.
0: And um, despite you know public health guidelines, why is it that you repeatedly refuse to brush your teeth? Let's let's try another one. Um, I see, I see you have skates here, which, which actually reminded me of, of your history with hockey. And, and I mean, you, you've shared some of, some of this before. So it, in, in your own life, you've gone on a counseling journey that came out of just being a, a horrible hockey player growing up. Tell, tell us, like, give us an update. How has that been? And, and what's the healing journey been like for you? So here's, here's a few things that uh, others wanted to know about you. Um, but this one, for example, uh, from our youth pastor Nathan Archer, he wanted to know. You know what? That's actually a really terrible question. In, it's probably kind of... inappropriate. Yeah, right? uh, let's yeah. go to let's go to. I'm some not. Of the... I'm
1: not surprised. Let's
0: go to some of these other ones here. Um, uh, anyone who knows you knows that you are into sports, and in fact, one of the very first times I met you, you and I went and played golf together. I don't know if you remember that. I sure do. Um, For me, it was a great moment because not only did I get to know you, uh, I also hit the best shot of my life that day. I don't know if you remember that Um, very special memory for me. But
1: (laughs) oh, yeah, you hit the ball on the first try. That was good. When it
0: comes to golf, I I understand and not just golf, but a lot of sports. you, You are you're no slouch when it comes to things that are athletic. And yet it seems there's there's been this gentleman who's been spending time with your daughter who just is continuously you know, domineering you in the game of golf. So mm-hmm. between sports and family, I mean, share, share a bit about what those things mean to you.
1: I try to play the sports that I can beat my son-in-laws and, you know, man in daughter's life, but mm-hmm. um, you can't always orchestrate that. And it is intimidating as you get older and they start to nip at your heels. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure on right now, actually. This, uh, this could be the year that I really fall. So you, you, you value
0: family. Tell tell us a bit about uh, your kids, grandkids. Mm.
1: This could take a while. <laughs> uh, as you know, I love my kids. Um, I've been blessed to have three amazing girls. Amy's the oldest and was actually a worship pastor here for a season. And that was a real gift. Uh, Stephanie's the middle daughter. Um, she married another Clausen, which has been really exciting. Mm. And then my youngest, April, who's currently not married, um, all three of them live within an hour's drive distance. Two of them live in Vancouver, one lives in White Rock, and you know we still love hanging out together. And I just, I just love the the women that they have become and how they they continue to follow Jesus. Mm.
0: Uh, and I know, I know from spending time with you by yourself and you with your family, like how rich your family experience has been. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been so grateful to even be invited into some of those moments. So I think anybody who knows you, yeah, we know about the sports, uh, but I mean, family definitely comes out and that's no yeah. secret. And,
1: yeah. I didn't talk about the grandkids yet. So well, fill I us mean, in. Um, I mean, yeah, everybody tells you when they're grandparent, oh, this is the most amazing thing. And I have to say it, it really is incredible. And um, you know that when you, like one, one moment, for example, that sticks out, I went over to my daughter's house one day and, and her toddler was still crawling. And the toddler heard me come in the door and booked it crawling to see me calling out, Papa, Papa. Mm-hmm. Man, I tell you, you can live, you can live for a long time on something like that. But they're just, they're all unique and they have so much joy and zest for life that it's really fun to watch life through their eyes. Mm-hmm.
0: So family, yes. Sports, yes. I'm also aware travel as well. Oh, travel, yeah. I mean, it's not one of the five love languages. I think you would advocate for being one of your love languages, though, right?
1: Yeah, you must have talked to one of my kids about that one. I've always okay. said that uh, travel is and is, should be another love language. I love to do it. I don't know there's something neat about going to a new place, exploring the city, the country and, you know, again, for me, it's also God's creation. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the the places of the world are so beautiful. But then also how mankind, who is God's creation and God's gifted mankind with creativity, like some of the different buildings and structures that they've created and and what they've done. I just just love exploring that, taking it in.
0: Mm. What are two of your favorite places you've been in
1: life? Oh, man. So quite different, I would say Australia. Mm. I love the beaches in Australia and Sydney. And then I would say probably Rome because of its history and architecture.
0: So we, we've actually traveled together um, uh, more, than, more than once. But I remember this one time uh, we were in an airport and you were actually pulled into interrogation, which, which is actually a story for another time. Um, <laughs> but it got me thinking about times that you were in trouble. So maybe, maybe tell us a bit about going back to your childhood. What's, what's something you got in the most trouble for as a teenager? Fast forward then, maybe a little bit, coming out of
1: your your growing up years, you were born, um, where were you born? I was born in the States, in Kansas. So we lived in Kansas, then we went to North Dakota, then Oklahoma, and then eventually we moved to Calgary, Alberta, when I was about eight years old, I think. And so I grew up between eight and 14 in Calgary, then we moved to the Fraser Valley when I was 14.
0: Okay. So, and you finished high school in the Fraser here, Valley. Here in the Fraser Valley. Yeah. Okay. So, moving out of your childhood then, and, and into young adulthood, um, we we know we know you're one of the more aged uh, staff members. And so, what mm. we what I would be curious about is, you know, growing up in that time, moving out of high school, uh, is there a particular celebrity you modeled your look after? <laughs> perhaps I don't know. Perhaps one of the. I mean, your name's Tim. Uh, Perhaps one of the Toms, Selleck, Hanks. You've
1: been talking to my sister. Yeah, Tom Selleck, he had a good mustache. I had a really good mustache for a long time. Mm.
0: Uh, Is there any chance that we will see a return of that mustache? I don't think so. Would it it be fair to say that the mustache, along with the other uh, assortment of Tim Claussen characteristics, drew the attention of a particular special lady around that time?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was... uh, I was a very lucky man in that um, there was a girl in Abbotsford, actually, who every guy in Abbotsford knew, Okay. and her name was Virginia. And uh, I was introduced to her by one of her friends, who was a friend of mine. And so that uh, that led to, yeah, it led to a relationship and eventually to marriage.
0: Wow. And and t- tell us some of the highlights of, of, of your life with
1: Virginia. Uh, Virginia was... Uh, it's hard to describe, she was a very special, she was um, full of life, full of zest. And sometimes when people see my daughters, they, they, they're getting a glimpse of, of Virginia, but she was full of life, full of zest, um, very beautiful and yet not prideful, very humble, always looking out for people who maybe were on the fringes. And, um, you know, she was very sensitive, caring. She was a good listener. So I found a lot of times that younger women would gravitate towards her because they knew that Virginia cared for them and also that she would listen to them. And then she had a lot of wisdom. She had street smarts and um, like sometimes she would see very clearly through the problem and and tell us all what to do and she was right.
0: <laughs> mm. so, so to sort of blend your relationship with Somebody as you know, such a gift from God to you like that, mm-hmm. to blend uh, your your story with her, with your story with Central Heights. Maybe share just a, just a brief bit about uh, the the circumstances surrounding your entry here, because you've been here now a while as our lead pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, your your wife, obviously, big big part of your life. Central Heights is now a big part of your life. But something around the time when those two things came together, share a bit share a bit about what yeah. that was like.
1: Yeah, so um, Virginia and I had been married for 31 years. Mm. And in the spring of 2012, she'd been coughing, went to the doctor. First, they gave her, um, you know, some medication. They thought it was a cold or something. Uh, It didn't uh, go away. So she went back. Uh, It was Father's Day weekend. I think I had gone away for a fishing trip, come back. And on Monday, she came back from the doctors and uh, told me, Tim, something's, something's wrong. So we, uh, that began a journey. Um, the following Saturday, our, our doctor came and visited us at home. You know, it's not good news when a doctor says, I'll come visit you at home. And he told us that she had actually kidney cancer, which is often discovered by accident. And the reason why she was coughing was because it had spread to her lungs. Uh, he said there'd be no hope of, you know, um, with radiation or chemo to get rid of it. It was simply a matter of writing it out as best we could, uh, keeping her pain to a minimal. And um, so, yeah, from diagnosis, uh, we then journeyed with Virginia. She had to have an operation to have her kidney removed because there was uh, some growth happening there. And... Um, yeah it's uh, it's not a fun journey to watch the love of your life sort of deteriorate. Numerous visits to the hospital and specialists. And, um, and after nine months, um, yeah, it came to a close rather quickly. We The doctors told us she probably had another thirty days and sometimes we would take her into the hospital they'd adjust her meds we'd go home and she was fine in this particular situation we went into the hospital i thought we were going to just adjust her meds and come home but actually she went into a tailspin really quick and um, yeah she was uh, she was gone but even in her even in her dying we saw god move in just powerful ways she had such a love for people to know Christ, and even in her death, it's a bit of a story. But I saw God use her dying to actually preach the gospel to someone in another room through family. It was it was absolutely incredible, and it's um, you know it, it, I'll never forget the last um, the last night lying beside her with my youngest daughter on the other side, and just being. Um, just being made so keenly aware of the sanctity of life and the preciousness of life and every breath that God gives us. And I've never been bitter over Virginia passing away. I always did think God was gonna heal her physically. We had so many people praying and you know, a lot of encouraging words. It seemed to indicate she might just, God would just supernaturally touch her. It never happened. I was never bitter about that. Um, and I just, um, I was really pleased. My girls never, you know, ran away from, from God or got bitter about it. I think it pushed us more towards God and actually closer to each other. And um, yeah, I'll maybe share a bit about when I when I speak today on the passage of Scripture about what sort of guided us through that process. But I'm just so grateful for... You know, the 31 plus years that we did have it was actually 32 just before she died. I'm, I'm grateful because we had a great relationship. She was an incredible wife, um, much better partner than I was to her. Incredible mother, incredible friend, like incredible sister-in-law. My my sister, uh, she loves Virginia. You know, it's almost like she remembers every occasion before I do um, to celebrate in remembrance. So um, I'm grateful. God doesn't notice anything. And that was a gift. And I know because of the gospel uh, that uh, there's a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a reason to live. I was supposed to start at Central Heights the weekend Virginia died. Mm -hmm. And so we took obviously some weeks off uh, to, you know, sort of grieve and, and decompress. And, um, and then I started here and that itself was a gift. I couldn't believe Central Heights actually would want a pastor who was journeying with a wife dying of cancer, but they felt to do that. I felt to continue the conversation. Uh, we started in the, the spring of 2013, and it really has been a gift to serve with so many amazing people in this church and watch God do some pretty cool things.
0: Mm. I mean, there, there is so much more that, that you've left unsaid, but I think what, what, I, what I've heard just now, and uh, it was no surprise, the, the mixture that you have experienced in life of joy and grief in, in both of those things, what, I, what we see in you is somebody who, who does align with that larger story and the larger reality of Jesus and clearly that has that, ha, that has marked you and has marked those significant moments of 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 gain and loss in your life. And so I, I think for us, not only maybe Central Heights is a gift to you, um, but I think you've been a gift to mm-hmm. Central Heights in that. You're you're a man of prayer. You value God's word and, and God's spirit. And I, I uh, beyond all the other things I would want to ask you uh, today, I'm I'm just excited to hear what you're going to share mm-hmm. from Scripture, and and how that will play out um, in God's power mm-hmm. in our church at this time. So thanks thanks for being here.
1: Thanks Jesse. Hey, in this bonus episode, I'm going to like the others did share with you a passage of Scripture that has had impact in my life and continues to do that. I'm going to read it to you. It's Ephesians chapter one. Uh, Verses 3 to 14, and then I'll talk about it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now you may think, hey, when I heard all the other pastors speak, their passage of scriptures were a lot shorter than that. Is this really fair, Tim? To which my reply would be, actually, to be fair to Paul, I had to read the whole thing. You see, in the original language, this is one sentence. One sentence. And it just wouldn't be right to interrupt Paul mid-sentence, would it? It's like when Paul began to talk, when he said, blessed be or praised be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts to lay out all the things that God has done. He's done this, he's done that. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's adopted us, he's redeemed us, he's forgiven us. He can't stop himself. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's given us an inheritance and he's sealed us with his spirit. He can't stop himself. And he not only tells us what God has done, he also shows us the motivation of God behind it. In verse 4, he says it's like he chose us in love. He talks about how it's according to his glorious grace. In verse 7, the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us. Like over and over again, we get this picture of God wanting to, to do good to us, and not only in a stingy way, but lavishly, towards us and you get these words that salted throughout it like God predestines, God plans, God purposes. God's plan for you and me is not only good, it's lavishly good. Can you believe that? Let me illustrate this with a story in my life and that's been part of the series is sharing personal stories so you get to know your leaders a little bit better. Quite a while ago, uh, my wife and I were invited to Japan uh, for a family celebration. We had been like here in North America, surrogate parents to one of the daughters from Japan. And so we'd gotten pretty close to the family and they invited us to Japan, flew us out there to celebrate with their family. While we were there, they told us that Tauntaun, Makiko's brother, wanted to make a nice dinner for us. Now, you may think, well, yeah, that's nice. Somebody's gonna make a dinner for you, but let me give you the context. Tonton was an experienced French chef. Um, he had, when he visited us in Vancouver, he had made this most exquisite salmon dinner in my house that I still salivate over. I mean, he was an incredible cook. And in Tokyo, he had now, he owned a, a bistro, and he wanted to invite us to enjoy a special meal. I mean, come on, French cuisine, bistro, Tokyo, ah, oh, this is crazy, right? It's hard for me to describe what an amazing evening that was. It was a smaller restaurant, and there were six of us. We were seated in the middle of the restaurant. Uh, we were never given a menu. Tauntaun would decide what we would eat and when we would eat it. And so, you know, first of all, one dish is brought out, and you we started eating, and, our man, our taste buds just burst. It was so delicious. And, and, and then another dish was brought, and every time the servers brought a dish, Taunton would come out from the kitchen, and I would see him looking at us with this big grin on his face, and as dish after dish kept coming. It's like he got more and more giddy. He was having immense joy as he lavished upon us this incredible meal. That is a picture of God that Paul is trying to portray to us. One thing after another lavished upon us from the riches of his grace and God gets immense pleasure in blessing us. Wow, this this scripture in that way has stuck with me in my walk with God because it reminds me that regardless of my circumstances, I am incredibly blessed to be in a relationship with a God who is gracious and good. And it reminds me as I read these verses that it's all about what God has done, not what I must do. So in light of that today, I just want to focus on verses 13 and 14 with the time that we have. And let me read these verses to us again. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. As you hear these two verses and and the verses that went before it, you may have noticed a lot of it is sort of past tense. These are things that have already happened to the Christians in Ephesus. I mean, why is Paul going over old ground? Why do believers need to be reminded of what is already true of them? Maybe we don't really know. Or maybe we forget. Or maybe what... Paul is talking about, and what God has done is so rich, so amazing, like a great piece of music. You just have to hear it over and over again, and it rings more and more true and beautiful all the time. Maybe you're watching today or or listening, and you're in a place where you're a follower of Jesus, but you're just stuck. Or maybe you're bored, And I think if if you could hear the music of these pages, it would be so tragic for us to be living bored or like paupers when Paul talks about these incredible riches that are given to us in Christ. And that's where it begins. Verse 13, in him, Paul says, you also. These were words to live by for Paul. He'd experienced them. And so they are to be for us in him. In Jesus Christ, as you read this passage, everything that God does is in Jesus, through Jesus. If you were to take a pen and circle every place in verses 3 to 14, this one sentence, this one run-on sentence that Paul has given us, and you circled in Christ, through Jesus, in him, because of Jesus, you would have circled 10 out of the 12 verses that we have read today. Jesus is central. And I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes I can be in conversation with people and it's fine to talk about God. But things change when you, when you start talking about Jesus. That's where lines are drawn. And you know what? The Apostle Paul was okay with that. Because he tells us elsewhere that he was, he was willing to suffer the loss of all things for the name, the cause, the person of Jesus Christ because he understood that it's through Jesus that all these blessings that God has given to us, one after another, it's through Jesus that we receive them. According to scripture, I mean, our trajectory ultimately is determined by what we do with Jesus. Will we believe in him or will will we not? The Ephesians church, you know, they didn't come to faith because they had met Jesus in person, uh, just like we don't get the opportunity to meet Jesus in flesh, in the flesh, but they had heard the message about Jesus. And Paul calls it, the, he calls it the word of truth. In an age when there's so much difficulty trying to find out what is true and false and what is manipulation, Paul says the words of Jesus and what his disciples taught about him and his teaching is pure and trustworthy. So check it out. Don't reject a Jesus who doesn't live. Don't reject Jesus without really searching into who he is. The word of truth, Paul says, is good news. That's what the gospel means. And it's good news because it is the gospel of our salvation. Um, Through these words that are preached, Christians don't just They're not just proclaiming information about a person. They're proclaiming a powerful word of transformation that has the the power to save people, That, that Jesus came and lived in human flesh, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. When this is believed, this is transformative. In Christ alone is salvation. And that's not... Just, although this is so significant, that's not not just closing the gap from our separation from God. It's also bringing us into a world where our lives can be characterized by wholeness. The Jews had a word for this, shalom, peace, salvation. But it has to be believed. Paul writes, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We're not talking about mental assent here. Even the devils, we're told in in, in James, even the devils believe in God, and they shudder. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus exists or to acknowledge him. We have to put our trust in him. That's what it means to believe. Like when you're on a dock and you see a canoe, and and you... Mm -hmm. You deem it trustworthy, that it can carry you. You step off the dock, and you put your full weight into that canoe, on that canoe. That's what it means to trust in Jesus, to give him everything, and to look to him with belief in all your circumstances. We begin that way. We continue that way. And so you're in a tough spot. It's it's to look to Jesus to... to to trust him to take you through that tough spot. When you're tempted to compromise your integrity, it's to trust Jesus to make everything turn out right if you don't compromise. It even touches our wallets with our our giving. It's to trust Jesus that he can provide for you as you are generous to other people. To believe in Jesus is to start by trusting in him, but it's also to continue, and it touches every area of our life. In him, Paul writes, And believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit." This really has had an impact on my life. I grew up in a great godly Christian home. My dad was a pastor and a teacher, and I know how much people really appreciated him. But somehow growing up as a kid, I probably wasn't paying attention or maybe it wasn't clearly taught. But I really knew very little about the, the role of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. And somehow in my early 20s, God was just drawing me to himself. And I found myself doing a study of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Like I took a concordance and everywhere the word spirit or Holy Spirit was mentioned, I would look up those verses and read it and, and, and sometimes take notes and as I did that, I began to realize that the Holy Spirit, man, he's so integral to God's plan for, for his people. And, and you read in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people and they do these extraordinary things. And, and then you fast forward to the New Testament and the Holy Spirit is promised and Jesus reiterates that promise. And he says, you know, there's gonna be another comforter. He's gonna be just like me, Jesus says. But there's a caveat, he says in John chapter 16. I'm gonna have to go. If I don't go, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's not gonna come, but if I depart, I will send the helper to you. And so as you follow the story of Jesus, and he dies, he rises from the dead, he's with his disciples for a little while, and then he tells them to remain in Jerusalem so that they can be clothed with power from on high, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus ascends, and it happens and you follow the stories of, of the disciples and they're markedly changed people because they're no longer trying to follow Jesus in the strength and power of their sel- of themselves. They're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. In my life, God marked me by His Spirit. I wasn't seeking an experience. I was seeking God and, and God marked me by His Spirit, but it didn't take me long to realize that we don't just begin in the Spirit, We need to continue in the spirit. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? I can tell you, I don't want to be foolish. I know that I cannot in my own strength live up to the life that God has purposed for for me. Hey, it took the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to make me a new person, and it will take the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to help me to live that out. I need the Holy Spirit. I've got to have him working in my life from day to day to day. You know, some people, um, there are conversations around, should should we have a secondary experience after we come to faith in Christ? And, you know, we discussed this as a leadership at one point, and I remember just thinking that, you know, what matters really is, are we filled with the Holy Spirit now? You see the believers in Jesus coming to faith in Christ, and as I read the scriptures, it seems you can't be born again without the Spirit, but you also see these born-again believers filled again, and then filled again. We decided as a leadership, it is the strategy of the Holy Spirit for us to be filled with the Spirit. We can settle on that. And in fact, that's what Ephesians chapter 5 commands us. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Something else you'll notice in this verse here, in verse 13 of chapter 1, and you'll notice in other places, notice how the Word and the Spirit are in close proximity. In my journey of wanting to live a Spirit-filled life, I've Like I've encountered all kinds of things in churches and Christian meetings and some of it's been really good and I have to say some of it's not been very good. And my observation would distill down to this, the the best of what the Spirit has for us is strongly tied to the Word. And the best of the Word is experienced in relationship with the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit need to go together together soon after God really moved in my life by His Holy Spirit, I found myself directed to go to the Scriptures and memorize it. I, I would memorize Scriptures, and then the Holy Spirit would use those Spirit-written words uh, in my life to help make decisions. Scriptures would, be, would come to mind to, to bring clarity to me, or in speaking to someone else or praying for someone else, Scriptures would come to light that, oh, it was so appropriate for the situation because they were there in my heart, and the Holy Spirit would just draw them out. It, it, it was just something so beautiful, how the Spirit and the Word would and continue to work together in my life. And I mean, this is crazy as I look back, how, how immersed I was in this. I memorized the first seven chapters of the book of Revelation at one point. I mean, if you don't use it, you lose it. But I memorized it in the King James, because that's the Bible I used at the time. And I still recall you know, some, some verses, um, You know, the beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to give unto his servants the things that have come to pass and he sent and signified it to his servant John. And, and there's just so many other verses that sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring to my attention because the Word and the Spirit work together. We need the Word, we need the Spirit. There's a danger sometimes in idolizing the Word of God for information and not seeing it as a vehicle for relationship with God and transformation of the Spirit. Mark Sayers, in his book, Reappearing Church, he talks about how Christians and churches can recede from a vibrant faith in God to a cold or even dead orthodoxy, having a right belief, but there's no vitality of the Spirit. We need both. And I want to constantly be putting myself in the place where I'm immersing myself in the scriptures, but I'm also putting myself in the place where I can be filled with the Spirit. As it says in Ephesians 5, in in times of worship, worshiping, singing, not just with myself, but with others, praying, being humble before God, that I can be filled with His Spirit. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Scripture tells us that the best is yet to come. We experience life in the Holy Spirit. Paul refers to it here as the guarantee. It's also referred to as the down payment. What it is, it's of the same substance of that which we are to inherit, but it's not the full amount. So we experience like a taste of this heavenly life here through the Holy Spirit on this earth, but there is a fullness. There is an inheritance that is yet to come. I can find it so easy to live just for the moment, to to try and squeeze all that I can out of just the here and now. But I think we set ourselves up for disappointment if we don't see life from the bigger picture of God's future. We need to live in the moment with God's future in mind. See, for for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we live in the until moment. There is something that has not yet happened. There is an inheritance. There's a goodness of God that we are yet to experience and to walk into. As it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. That's the kind of God that is planning, preparing with immense joy for what is yet to be experienced by us. So in the meantime, we, we experience mixture. We experienced someone we deeply love, passing away. We experience pain. We experience suffering. We experience disappointment. This is just a natural experience of living a life in a fallen and broken world. And it's a natural experience for a Christian who also lives in a very real spiritual battle. But the same Paul who wrote these words here in Ephesians would also write to the church in Corinth these words. A man who had suffered immensely said this, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're walking towards something greater. As Paul writes here, all of this projects towards something his last few words, to the praise of his, God's glory. You know, it's taken time in my walk with Jesus for some of the truths that I've talked about today to, to deepen in my life. You know them at a certain level to begin with, and then as you walk with Jesus, they go deeper, and as you walk with Jesus, they go deeper. That's why we believe the gospel at the start and we continue, but... Over time, as they go deeper, these five things have really become principles in my life. God is gracious and good. Jesus is central. The gospel is to be continually believed. We need the word and the spirit. Live in the moment with God's future in mind. But all of this trajects to this. It's all about the glory of God. So somewhere in my walk with Jesus, maybe it was about 12, 15 years ago, the whole concept of living my life for the glory of God just took on a, a completely dip, deeper level for me. And I began to try to look, the lens for my living started to become way more, not just about what was best for me, but what could be for the glory of God. And, and, and that took me to a place where when I was in leadership, I was coaching other people, actually really life coaching. And one of the One of the questions, in fact, the predominant question we would ask in our whole coaching model was, how could this be for the glory of God? And so I've been doing this for uh, a year, year and a half, and my wife gets sick. And I realized that all the principles I've been teaching other people and helping them to work through, I needed to work through with myself and my family. And I will never forget, we we were given this beautiful place to... To stay at in the Shushwap. And uh, they had a whiteboard there. How perfect for a coach and a you know a felt pen. And one evening we decided to sit around and I put the whiteboard out and we wrote the question. How could this be? For the glory of God. And I'll never forget. You know, as we collaborated on how God could be glorified in in the situation that we were in and Virginia's diagnosis and prognosis and death facing us, wouldn't it be great if we could respond to this with praise? Wouldn't that give God glory? Wouldn't it be great if Virginia was healed? I could see God getting great glory out of that. And if he didn't, wouldn't it be great if we praise God anyhow? Wouldn't he get glory in that? It shaped us as a family and led us, I believe, to walk through that experience with my wife and their mom in a way that we felt carried by the Holy Spirit. I extrapolate that out to the bigger picture of your life and my life and our lives together in the church, if there were more followers of Jesus, wouldn't God get the glory? If there were more deeper, growing followers of Jesus, wouldn't God get the glory? If there were more healthy churches praising and worshiping God, wouldn't God get the glory? If we were living out the blessing that God has given to us in his plan and purposes to be a blessing to others in our cities, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in all of our relationships, wouldn't God get the glory in that? God is gracious and good. Jesus is central. The gospel is to be continually believed. We need the word and the spirit together. It's wise to live in the moment with God's future in mind. And it's all for God's glory. These are words to live by.